let's pray um, pray again. Father, please, uh, this morning, would you be at work in us? Please, Father, would you comfort and encourage our hearts? Please, Father, would you establish us in every good work and word? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Beginnings are easy. The thing is to finish the race. So said one successful sportsman talking about their sport, but they could well have been talking about the Christian faith. Beginnings, in one sense, are easy. The thing is to finish the race. John Stott, the pastor and writer, uh, he writes that there are three things that can cause, or three major categories that can cause Christians to stumble and slip. Three things which... Uh, might cause someone to, to stop following Jesus. Persecution, false teaching, and temptation. He says, look, persecution press, pressures kind of our physical sides, our physical beings. False teaching challenges the intellectual side. Temptation, moral. And I think that's a bit too neat, and those things all kind of merge together in different ways. But if I were to say this morning, well, well, for Lionstown Church, for us, which perhaps of those three might we be most susceptible to? For you, which of those three might be the biggest challenge? Persecution, false teaching, temptation. Last week we saw that the big theme of two Thessalonians is Jesus' return. And for those who are trusting in him, there's going to be peace, joy, comfort from his presence. For those who aren't, eternal destruction, away from him and all his goodness. That shows the importance of the, the issue is how we finish the race, not just how we start. What's going to matter isn't how we started. You know, yeah, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I... I prayed a prayer in Sunday school and I was baptized as a teenager. That's not going to matter then. It's not even how you got on in your early stages. Look, I was at church every single week and I was leading Bible studies and I taught Sunday school. What's going to matter on that day is have you kept trusting Jesus to the end, to your death or till his return? What's going to help us to keep going through this? We'll find out this morning, and you won't be surprised to hear a good chunk of it is prayer. Prayer. I wasn't actually originally going to look at this prayer um, but in this series, but I was so encouraged by seeing how a number of the themes from the first prayer that we looked at last week are, are brought out again and emphasized and unpacked a little bit. So I decided we would indeed look at it together. But reading through the, the letters of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, we'll see that of John Stott's kind of three things, one of the, the major challenges for this Thessalonian church was persecution. They were being afflicted because of their faith. Because of their trust in Jesus, they were experiencing hardship. But secondly, and the one particularly we kind of see come out uh, in chapter two, is false teaching. You see, the, the Thessalonians have been, been confused 
and therefore in danger of having their, their faith shaken. If you just glance back to chapter 2, verse 1 with me. Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in this way. See, this church had received some kind of teaching, that this letter from Paul that wasn't from Paul, saying, look, the that Jesus' return had already taken place. And they'd heard this kind of teaching, and they, they were worried that like, we missed it. And their faith was being shaken. And in the first half of chapter 2, uh, Paul explains that, no, he hasn't come. That there are certain things that need to happen before he does. Uh, and these verses are actually some of the most confusing and... Um, debated verses in the Bible, particularly of this person called the man of lawlessness. Um, now, I'm not going to go into to all the options for who it might be. Uh, suffice to say, uh, my understanding of the man of lawlessness um, is probably the same as the Antichrist that is written elsewhere, and isn't just one person, but actually is a whole number of people through history. So we shouldn't try and kind of, who is this one particular man of lawlessness? But forget all that. What is clear from those verses is that this man of lawlessness is Satan's instrument. He is leading opposition against God and his people, and he is deceiving those who are perishing, who reject the truth. Okay, so he's Satan's instrument. He's opposing God and his people, and he's doing it by deceiving. In short, he's going to bring a heightened attack on God, on his people. He's going to bring persecution, false teaching, and indeed temptation. And the Thessalonians were in danger of being shaken because of their confusion over the, the return of Jesus. But this is also pointing to us living way after this, knowing actually there are, are these times of particular persecution, particular false teaching. And so as Paul writes to them to encourage them to keep going, so he writes to us to keep going. Keep going. Have a look at verse 15. So chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Paul says, look, forget any of that rubbish you may have heard. Keep going. Stand firm. Don't be moved from the truth. And hold on, hold on to that real truth that Paul has passed down to them. Or to put it the way I started, finish the race, keep going. But before we get to verse 15, which we'll look at in more detail in a moment, Paul lays the foundation for confidence that they will indeed keep going. So the call for us is to keep going. Well, what's going to help us do that? Well, it's knowing God's saving work. Paul's just finished describing those who are perishing and who are condemned. So just in chapter 2, um, verse 10, we see those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. There's a strong delusion, so they believed what is false. Verse 12, they did not believe the truth, but took pleasure or had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
And in contrast to those, see what Paul remembers about the Thessalonians. Verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because he chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. See those, the, the contrast? Perishing condemned, but Thessalonians saved. They refused to believe the truth. They didn't believe it. Saved through belief in the truth. The confidence that Paul has for them is the, the, the foundation of God's saving work. And what is that saving work? How do you describe it? Well, again, verse 13, it starts there. We always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the gods, by gods, because God chose you. God chose you. The starting point of salvation is God's sovereign free choice. You see there it says, um, God chose you as the first fruits. But if you see the footnotes, um, some manuscripts say from the beginning. I think that is probably the right one. God chose you from the beginning. That is before time. God has chosen his people before time. And that is why Paul seeks to thank God for them. Because God is the one who is behind their salvation. And then this God's choosing, sovereign choice of salvation is then worked out through two means. So he goes on in verse 13. He he chose you as the first fruits, or chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Holy Spirit does indeed sanctify people in terms of that ongoing process of being made more like Jesus. But the sanctification he's talking about here is that act of salvation. It's being set apart. So, so you, you kind of see there, see there clearly. You, we've got the, um, those little dots there. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It just means to kind of stand out, to be different. And that is what um, the, the Holy Spirit does for someone at conversion. He, he sets them aside for salvation. And then we see it's set apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see, these two things, they highlight the primary decisive work of the Spirit and the necessity of response. Those whom God has chosen from the beginning, God sets up, uh, the Holy Spirit sets apart, enabling them to believe the truth. Or as verse 14 puts it, to this he has called you through our gospel. In the Bible, the word called is used a couple of different ways. One is just the general call of the gospel. So whenever the gospel is spoken, the gospel call goes out. But the calling here, again, as Paul speaks, it is that decisive work of God in saving them. I was trying to think of an illustration this week. I was struck by, by our little one-year-old when he's in his cot. Thankfully, he can't get out of it yet. It won't be long. But, but there he is, and, and I say to him, come here. But what I do, I, I say, come here, and I, and I reach him and I pick him up. And that, that's the idea of this calling here. It's Jesus, God says through his word, through the gospel, look, repent and believe, but, but as he does it, he reaches in and picks us out and enables us to do that. God's choosing 
this timeless event in the mind of God then translates into God's call, that moment in time when the Spirit sets someone apart. And it has this ultimate goal of verse 14. To this he has called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The the natural fallen state of of, of everyone in this world, as Paul puts it elsewhere in Romans 3, is that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word fall short is, is actually the word for lack. They don't have it. All have sinned and fall short or lack the glory of God because they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. But we see that's the, that's the natural state, but salvation has this incredible goal of, of undoing that so that we may share in the glory of God. God's people, because of their closeness, their, their unity with the Lord Jesus, share in his glory. And this saving work, choosing in the past, this call in the present, as it were, when someone becomes a Christian, for this wonderful future hope, that is the foundation of our confidence in this saving work. So look, keep going because of God's great saving work. Secondly, keep going, stand firm. What, what does this mean? And you see verse 15 starts with the word, so then. So here's the kind of conclusion. Now, we might have come to a, a different logical conclusion. So since you've been chosen, chosen, since you've been set apart, since you've been called, relax. Put your feet up. I'll see you all in heaven. Or, hey, look, since you've been called, since you've, uh, since you've been chosen, since you've been called, since you've been um, set apart by the Spirit, well, well, don't worry, guys, it's all fine. You kind of live how you, you want to, and, and we'll all get there in the end, no problem. Actually, no, Paul's logical conclusion, because you've been chosen, because you've been called, because you've been set apart, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. Paul says to the Thessalonians, look, stand firm. That's the idea of don't be moved. I, we saw this word in our, our series in Philippians. It's that idea of kind of soldiers um, putting your, your shields down. I'm not going to be moved from here. Stand firm. So Thessalonians, stand firm, not frightened by the hostility of those who are opposing you. Stand firm, not, not unsettled by the confusion around Jesus' return. Stand firm. Not just stand firm, but stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Hold on, hold fast. Don't let go. Cling on to you. They're saying something that goes against what, what I've taught. Forget it. Remember my teaching. Stick to it. Remember that month or so that I was with you, Thessalonians. Remember that teaching. Cling to that. The, the letters that are actually from me, one Thessalonians, another, look, cling to them. And remember in verse 14 that um, they were called, they became Christians through Paul's gospel. Why on earth would you turn away from that gospel now? That's the gospel that brought life. 
And if we were to kind of put these, these two images together, let's stand firm and hold on. I kind of think we, we end up with this idea of like a tug of war. Yeah, like get your feet planted into the ground. Get a good grip on that rope. Don't be moved. Hold on. Stand firm. Hold on to the truth that Paul has taught. Look, if they're saying, if you keep sharing your faith, you're going to lose your job, stand firm. They're saying, look, your school friends are saying, look, if you keep being so strange and keep saying no to all these things, we're not going to invite you to, to things from now on. Stand firm. If you don't renounce your faith, that the family is going to reject you, disown you. Stand firm. Stand firm. Because being saved, sharing in Jesus' glory rather than perishing is far more important. Don't be moved. Don't give grounds. And hold fast to Paul's teaching what great encouragement and comfort they contain. I think part of the reason why persecution threatens Christians so much is because what persecution does is, is take our eyes off what is future and eternal so that our entire focus is brought into what is here and now, but ultimately temporary. But in that moment of hardship, of pain, the here and now, the temporary, gets so big. When, when we hold on to the truth that Paul is teaching, again, it lifts our eyes to what is future and lasting. Stand firm, hold fast to the truth. Look, the Thessalonians, they had these whispers, uh, false teachers, they had this letter, false letters. Teaching for us has never been more accessible. And there's some real good, strong, positive things about that. But there does also come a great danger there. And just because somebody is on the internet does not make them legitimate. Just because someone has hundreds of thousands of views on a video or thousands of subscribers doesn't mean they're faithful. What matters is, are they holding fast, holding on to the truth of the teachings that are passed down to us in God's Word? In the tug of war, with persecution and false teachers pulling furiously on the other side. Stand firm and hold on. And finally, again, how do we do that? Well, we do that through God's strengthening work. As we've seen time and again through our series, if we are going to be able to do any of these things, we need God's work. We need his help. And so, Paul knows that, he prays for them. So verse 16, so just see how Paul addresses God here. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and words. The Lord Jesus himself and God the Father, who loved us. That word loved is, um, is a kind of completed action. So how has the Father loved us? This isn't so much his ongoing love, although that is true, but he loved us when he sent his Son for us. 
He loved us decisively. He showed that love when he sent the Lord Jesus to come and die in the place of his people. No greater love than that. He loved us. He has shown this love. And by grace, he has given this eternal encouragement and good hope. Again, this encouragement is, is this completed action. So it's, it's not so much a kind of subjective encouragement on our journeys. We'll see that in a second. This encouragement is our future hope, what we look forward to. It's encouragement that is eternal. It is called, and he describes it as a good hope. So God who loved us, who has shown that love in sending the Lord Jesus, God who has given us this wonderful future, good hope. That's who Paul's praying to, and what, what grounds for confidence that is. What a great reminder that's who we are praying to. But then what does he ask? Verse 17, May this God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. Uh, sorry, every good work and words. Such a simple prayer. What was that? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, thirteen words. Very simple. If you struggle to know what to pray for, you know, your, your prayer times at home, and you like, I just don't know what to say, or maybe kind of in the prayer meetings, you don't feel comfortable praying out loud because you feel like I haven't got the words for, for any kind of long, lengthy and theologically rich prayers. Learn from Paul. I mean, sometimes he does indeed have very lengthy and theologically uh, rich prayers. But just a few little words, very simple. Comfort your hearts. May God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Pray, learn from Paul's prayer here. Very simple, very short. But here is the ongoing, internal, subjective work of God in our hearts. So I said the encouragement is this kind of objective, eternal future. But here, this, this comfort or encouragement is, is this, this sense of God encouraging you in this way. Now, I will never know this feeling, but I've had enough friends who've done it, who've run the London Marathon. And maybe there's some people here who've done it. And they, they've said what great encouragement it has been for them when halfway around, three quarters of the way around, and they see their friends and their family cheering them on. Give them that encouragement to keep going. And even strangers you never met, saying, come on, you can do it, keep going. That gives great encouragement. Well, here, too, God gives this comfort or encouragement for his people. And I imagine you've experienced this. You might have not quite realize what's going on. You know, when you have a verse in your quiet time that just particularly jumps out at you, really speaks to you at that time, that's God's comfort, encouragement. Is that at times I felt like that sermon was just for me. God's encouragement comforts. When a friend asks you, look, look how are you doing when you're struggling? And then you, you, sh you tell them and they are able to point you to God's word and pray with you. God's encouragement comforts. When you, all your, your colleagues at work seem so hostile to the gospel, but then God gives you that really good opportunity just to, to share um, how you became a Christian to share what's so wonderful uh, of knowing Jesus and knowing this encouragement and hope in the future. That's God's encouragement and comfort. That old Christian, that old, old, older Christian, older saints at church, who so clearly is just looking forward to that internal, eternal encouragement. Seeing others serving in church, that's God's 
encouragement and comfort. Those encouragements, sometimes even very little, are so helpful in encouraging us to keep going. And so Paul prays, God, would you comfort uh, our hearts, encourage our hearts. Not only that, encourage, uh, sorry, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You see, the good hope that we have is to be worked out in a good life. To have this, uh, to continue and have this consistent pattern of behavior and words. And those words, like every good work and word, that, that's deliberately non-specific. Paul is praying, look, in, in, in everything they do, in all of their words that they say, encourage them in that, establish them, strengthen them in those things. Because that is how we're enabled to keep going. Paul here is thanking God for them, for their past saving work. And he's calling to them to this present steadfastness. And he's praying for them for their future encouragements. And look, the past, the present, and the future are covered, chosen in the past, called, encouraged, strengthened in the present for this future glory. Paul knows that it isn't just the starting that counts, it's the finishing. Are you going to make it to the end? Well, the only confidence for that is God's saving work. But yet we are to stand firm and to hold on, trusting and praying that God would indeed help us to do that and praying that for one another as well. Let's pray that now. Father, we thank you so much for your saving work. We thank you that it is only because of what you have done in our hearts and our lives that we can uh, know you and uh, be safe on that day when Jesus returns. Father, in the world now where there are so many pressures of different types and different ones for each of us that would um, seek to draw us away from Jesus, Yet please would you help us to stand firm and to hold on to the truth, the teaching that we have in God's word, in your word. And please, Father, be at work in us, encouraging us and keeping us going on that path. In Jesus' name, amen.